This is red. Well, good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? <laughs> good. You got a fan. Glad to back hear there, it. Man. Right. Anybody else want to match his excitement? Oh, well, there we go. There we go. Well, it's nice to see y'all. Like to uh, welcome Salem's newest resident as well, Susan. That's <laughs> Yeah. What'd you do this morning? Did you just sit in your chair waiting for an extra half hour? Well, it's nice. That's good. Well, it's nice to be with everybody. Uh, nice sunny morning. If you want to stand up, we'll pray. We'll praise our Father in heaven. God, we love you. Uh, we're here for you. Uh, may this be a glorious day for you and your kingdom. As we praise you with these words, these songs, as we hear your word and grow today, just pray for all of us um, that there is growth in all of us today as sons and daughters, as followers, as a church, as brothers and sisters, um, as mentors and children, and uh, just let it be a great day for your kingdom. Uh, we lift up everything happening in the church and just uh, the energy that the sunlight and the warmth and summer brings. Uh, so we just uh, pray for a great season um, and lift this day up to you. We love you and praise you. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing but not alive all my failures I tried to hide It was my tomb Till I met you You called my name And I ran out of that grave Out of the darkness Into your glory Out of the 
seated. Kids are dismissed. Seems like everybody's ready for spring right now, aren't you? Isn't it great just to wake up and see the sunshine and, and just think, okay, it's going to be warm today, right? Well, maybe, maybe so, some, somewhere along the way we'll get some heat along with the sunshine, but uh, it definitely changes everybody's uh, spirits just about 25 degrees in the positive direction. So that's really good. So today uh, we are uh, moving in uh, through the book of John as, um, as we uh, explore that story through the eyes of the Apostle John and how he sees the life of Jesus. But before we get there, I'd just like to welcome everybody and welcome our friends online and just find out if there's anything that um, we can be lifting up in prayer because I, I believe that uh, prayer changes everything. It is the way that we activate God's presence into every part of our lives, and it's a way of inviting him into everything that we do. Uh, and he, he, will, uh, he will always be with us, but uh, he wants to participate in the things that we do. Uh, but he doesn't override our lives. He just says, if you welcome me, I'll come and I'll help. And so prayer is really vital and important to the way of life of a believer. 
Uh, so don't hesitate if you ever have a prayer concern, a need, just a thing that's going on in your life that you say, hey, uh, I need some help with this, and uh, we want to come alongside you and, and pray for you. Uh, we've been praying for people. It's been good to see uh, Liz Elias uh, finally get involved in her chemo, and hopefully this is going to go somewhere. Um, and just pray for Dave Syok, who I know he's been struggling with, um, with prostate cancer for a while, and we just want to keep him lifted up and you guys lifted up. And uh, as uh, we think about um, Josh's dad going through what he's gone through and God helping uh, he and Cheryl along the way, uh, those have been some big life challenges. Uh, and even you, Susie, as you've gone through your own transition, uh, I understand you've only lived in two houses your whole life. The one you grew up in and the one that your, your husband uh, said, hey, honey, this is our new place. And um, that's the place that uh, Kevin, obviously, was uh, raised in. And uh, now you're transitioning to Salem, Ohio, from all the way down in the boonies. Yeah. 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 So uh, that's going to be an adjustment for you. But we love the fact that you're with us and now you don't have to drive so far, you know, coming back and forth. So uh, got lots of help, and just it's cool how God comes alongside in all the ways he does. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Okay. Well, anything else that you guys have on your hearts or minds you want to celebrate, you want to just uh, uh, unburden with, um, you know, we're here for you. So, uh, oh, hold on. Uh, oh, Okay. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Melissa Niederheiser, a.k.a. Lissa Niederheiser, uh, is officially retired. Good for you. She has a new employer. I, I, you know what, Danny? I don't think that's true. I think you have a new employer. Uh, but uh, we'll find out. Time will bear that out. So that, that's awesome. But uh, nature does abhor a vacuum if people I know who've retired. Uh, it's like now there's other stuff that uh, people will try to pull you into. So help her as she tries to listen to the voice of the Lord. She's a asked me you know, on a number of occasions, what does God have for me next? And I love that question because it's, it really is the right question. Our lives are a calling and a vocation no matter who you are, what you do. If you're a child of God, God says, I got a role for you. Uh, we do that together. Okay, anything else? That's cool. Yes, yeah, Susie. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. All right. We love the hospitality, but bring your own instant coffee because... Uh, no, I have coffee, oh, I, I just don't want it. You don't... So she needs somebody to help her learn how to make coffee so you can expand on your hospitality skill set. I'll be right over. Yep. As soon as church is out, stomach's already growling, so hope you're ready. Okay. Might bring a few friends, too. Never know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, map where you live. Right. Yeah. Okay. 
So you better go to Giant Eagle before you go home. I'm just saying. Okay. All right. Rachel? Okay. Okay. Sammy gets her surgery on her ankle May 2nd. She's going to be like all new by the end of this year. Okay. If you can afford it, yeah. Well, that's a whole other story there, but um, uh, anyway, that's cool. Yep. All right. Anything else? Okay. Okay, Diane? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're not familiar with who Diane's talking about, it's the Snyder family that lost their son a couple weeks ago down at United School District, and I know that's been been quite a quite a blow to that community. But obviously, they've had a lot of setbacks with other issues with family members. So just please keep them lifted up. I'm trying to remember their first names. Zebediah, yeah. Melissa and Vernon Snyder, okay, yeah. Please keep those guys lifted up, okay. Anyone else? Jesse? Oh, good. Okay. Oh, good. Okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to, before we celebrate that, I just want to reiterate, if you didn't hear what Jesse said, her husband, Dave, who's been going through uh, treatment for prostate cancer, his numbers are, are, are better, and he's going through uh, chemo right now, going through that season, and um, just keep him lifted up, but things are improving on that front, and we're just going to keep him before the Lord and trust that you guys can keep your family for your kids and everybody together, healthy and intact for the long haul. Okay? All right. So, yeah, we'll celebrate that for sure. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Jesse. Okay? All right. Well, these are good things, and I think the Lord appreciates when we bring back to him a spirit of gratitude as we've offered things in petition. Uh, when you come full circle in your prayer, you you say, God, uh, thank you for the things that you've done. I don't, it's just like when you go in a... On a, on a trip in your car, you know, you start out saying, Lord, protect us as we go. And then you get back and you say, Lord, thank you for watching over us and uh, for providing along the way. And that's part of how prayer works. Okay, we're going to pray. And uh, so let's go before the Lord's throne. Would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, as we begin this first day of the week, we are thankful as we just hear the different prayers and concerns and things that... Um, our celebratory and things that we uh, are, are sharing uh, the burden with others with as we come alongside. Uh, so we just want to name a few here, Lord. Thank you for being with uh, Melissa and just helping her as she transitions out of her work and just is asking the question, Lord, what, what next? And I pray, Father, that you help us as a church to be able to create those pathways, not only for Melissa, but for others that are asking the question, how may I serve you and bring you glory with my life? And so uh, as, as we uh, solicit um, how people have volunteered and want to volunteer and areas where they see need and, 
as we think about people that are overseeing areas that um, are servicing our church or our community, we just ask that you continue to clarify what those pathways look like so that we can bring you glory. And we can come before your, your throne at, that, at, at the end of our lives and say, here's the fruit, Lord, uh, because we love you so much. And we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and that you care so deeply. We pray for the Snyder family as they grieve. Please just continue to um, uh, give them grace and mercy each day as things seem to be stacking on top of each other with tragedy and hardship. We ask that you help them to know your care and your love. Thank you, Father, for being with all of those that we've mentioned who are going through cancer treatment in some form or another, just helping them each day, providing their daily bread as well as the strength for the challenges of the day. Help them in the healthcare system, which is not ideal right now, but, uh, but as they navigate to provide uh, the pathways for the care that they need. But as our great physician, we pray for your healing touch to be upon them. We pray for Sammy as she anticipates the surgery on her ankle, that you would just bless her and uh, strengthen her, Lord. Thank you for her faith and all the ways that she's already getting plugged into so much here at, at the church. Uh, thank you for Susie and helping her with uh, a big transition that uh, is scary. And we're grateful, Father, for just uh, the support that she's been able to receive from you and through her church uh, and just the generosity of heart that she has for for her people here. And Father, as we just take all of the concerns and things that are weighing on us, uh, we want to celebrate those things where we've seen you at work and we're thankful. And we want to petition on behalf of those things that we, we're asking you to move faithfully into. As um, we look at the road ahead and we see uh, summer coming, we know there's going to be a lot of things happening. Uh, even here at church, as we uh, prepare a, a mission activity for the kids in the summer. And thank you, Father, for people supporting that and helping us to just see how it is that we can, we can speak into their lives, we can invest in their lives, we can help them to navigate a world that in many ways uh, is not creating the ideal conditions for their development and their own understanding of how to navigate the world. Uh, so we, we, we take that challenge of uh, our stewardship over our kids and uh, the, the giving of the good news to their lives and their families, and we pray that we can develop that cumulatively into something that um, is going to hopefully change the world as we do that with other churches. So that's a big hope, Lord, that we are asking you to be a part of, but I pray, Father, for us as we gather, each of us has brought something into this room, whether it's something that is heavy on our hearts and our minds, that you would just uh, be the one who uh, sh shoulders that burden with us. And we pray for those of us who uh, just need to see clarity for the road ahead that you would provide it. And as you speak a timely word, May we receive it in whatever form it takes that um, we'd be open to that and that we'd be willing to move into those places uh, that you call us to. So thank you, Father. Thank you for being with our church. And in so many ways, as we've prayed, we've seen you answer time and time and time and time again. Uh, please continue to remain faithful and we will be attentive to how you lead. And as we do that, Father, just tune our hearts and our minds to you as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you or electronic device or whatever it is that you want to observe the the word of the Lord through, uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 4. And uh, this is perhaps uh, one of the most comprehensive stories in the Bible where Jesus encounters another human being and there's a conversation, it's the longest conversation that's recorded between Jesus and another human being. And so there's a lot there, and I'm hoping to cover uh, what I need to cover today with it. It may be a two-parter, but um, I think it'll be well worth your time. As we go into it, um, you know, I was uh, walking in the sanctuary this morning, and I heard nobody was here except for Brian somewhere, and I heard a piano playing, and I'm like, Who's playing the piano? And Brian was up there, and he was, uh, had the piano, and he had his guitar, and I'm like, well, that's pretty interesting. He just needs some cymbals and maybe a few other things, and, and we could see what that would do. But what he was doing was he was tuning his guitar to the piano, and that may sound like a pretty simple thing, but uh, the notes were a little bit off on the guitar, and you could just hear him tweaking it, and finally there was a resonance between the two. And as mundane as that may appear to you, to me it's fascinating because it tells me something that uh, when things are harmonious and working together, it's just very powerful. And when Jesus is looking at the world that he has been called into, the one thing for certain that he sees, just like you and I see, every time we turn on our TV, every time we read the newspaper, every time, almost every time we have a conversation, there is a sense of discord of disharmony, of disunity, of polarization. And as Jesus looks at us, his desire isn't to make us all the same, but to take the uniqueness of who we are and make us all aligned in heart and mind regarding God's purpose. And that isn't just his vision for the world. It is his vision for each of us in relation to each other here in the church. It is his vision for us and our families that we would all, even though, trust me, all my kids are different, my wife is different, I'm the only normal one. Um, uh, we're, we're all just, uh, you know, uh, made up with different components, but when it is moving in the same direction, that is powerful. Now, there's a story that reflects where Jesus is going with that. And at the end of the story, we've read in the book of Acts, we've read at the end of the the book of Matthew and Luke, uh, that Jesus is sending people out into the world with good news, starting first in Jerusalem, then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. And we're getting ready to read a story that actually is one big step in building towards that end. Because ultimately, Jesus desires for you and I to live together with him forever. We are his forever family. But the only way that will work is if we all agree that he is Lord 
and that the way that he maps out for us to live is really the right and good way. And as he does that, he says, you know, we'll be there together. We'll have the fruit of the Spirit. We will have a sense of what, what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong. It'll just be baked into our psyche. And this will be an environment where when we go out, there'll be no hostility. There'll be no war. There'll be no evil. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more discord. Because like the piano and the guitar, it'll all just be in, in its own special way harmonious to the things of God. Now, that's a pretty tall order because the world that Jesus walked into, well, it was, it was pretty hostile. And in John chapter 4, uh, Jesus starts uh, this journey by um, remaining in the region of, um, of, uh, of, of the bookended places between Cana and Cana. Now, that may not mean anything, but John 2 to 4 Starts with a wedding in Cana and ends with uh, him, him leaving Cana. But the significance of that will, will bear itself out here in a second because the way John wrote this gospel uh, is pretty powerful. So let's just jump into it, shall we? It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although... Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, before we show the next slide, I want to go back to the Old Testament for a second and just set this up for us to read by, by just observing something. Now, in the Old Testament, an unmarried man sits down by a well and when a woman comes to draw water, the man asks her for a drink. She offers him water, and they get married. I don't know if you're familiar with the story or not, but it shows up a few times, and it's called the marriage plot of the Old Testament, and it centers around some key, key characteristics. One, Isaac's matchmaker finds Rebecca by a well, if you know that story. Jacob meets Rachel at a well. And Moses meets Zipporah at a well. Now, if you don't know who these people are, uh, basically, these are the husbands and wives-to-be, all happening where? At the well. Okay? So if you don't want to get married, don't go to the well. <laughs> and if that's your only takeaway today, well, then maybe I've uh, done you a favor. Or perhaps, if you do... I really don't know where any wells are at nowadays, except for, you know, the electric one in my backyard, but that's not the same, I don't think. But the imagery, I think, is beautiful because it's, it really captures how these betrothals that occurred in the Old Testament are the, really the, the, the beginnings of, the, of, of a nation that will just populate the earth. And this is significant in the minds of the Jewish people in Jesus' day. They know these stories well because they make up their identity. And I don't know if you've talked to your parents or grandparents. Uh, and even when I do a funeral, I'll always ask the question, where did you guys meet? You know, and some of them will say, well, I was in a bar. And I'll just say, you know what? 
It doesn't matter how you start out. It's just how you end up, and, and you're in a good place. Others, you know, it was because a friend set them up. It was a blind date. It was somebody said, hey, you know what, let's do some matchmaking here. But it would appear that everybody's got a, an origin story when it comes to how they met and how they, how they came together. And if you've got a funny one, please tell me, and probably somewhere along the way it'll end up in a sermon, so be warned. But as, um, as we're reading this, you may be saying, well, what is the point? And the thing I want to share with you is when you go through the book of John, it is such a unique book. It is being written uh, actually almost a, almost a generation and a half after the time of Jesus where there is a lot of destruction that has happened in the city of Jerusalem. It's past 70 AD, and the past that they knew as a glory day is gone. And churches are being established, and Christians are wondering, who are we coming out of Judaism? And John writes this beautiful book that he's thought long and hard, and God has taken the time to uh, help John to just take a snapshot of the life of Jesus, and then in, in beautiful language, with a lot of symbolism, describe the life of Jesus. So John carefully says these things. So if you read through it, you just see symbolism everywhere that echoes the Old Testament. Now, that's a little bit down in the weeds for some of you guys, but um, an example of that be, would be, you know, uh, Jesus has statements in John, and John puts them in timely places, saying, I am the bread of, of life, I am the water of life, I am, um, you know, and all these I am statements that describe who he is in light of Old Testament imagery. Now with John, what he tells you on the surface also has like, it's got like a double meaning, it's got a symbolism that harkens back to the Old Testament. And you need to know all of that to understand what we're getting ready to read. And this is a little bit of a challenge for me because I don't know that even in our day, we really can appreciate how they meditated on Scripture all the time. And, I, you know, my, my wife tells me um, at her school they have something called the Right to Read Week where they're encouraging kids to read. And every year she says the kids just, they, they read less and less and less. A lot of kids don't even want to read at all. Now, that's, that's a little frightening because reading is essential not only for functioning in life, but as a believer, I mean, literacy actually emerged in, in, in Western culture through people saying, we got to teach you how to read so you can know the Bible. But kids nowadays, when they think about reading, they're more, they're more drawn to an electronic device. And so to talk about this stuff in any depth... Not only for them, for us, all those things that um, are symbol-driven symbol and soundbite-driven, it's really hard. And so as I'm just trying to take what John wrote and share it to, you know, to, to us who are so technologically, I guess, I don't want to say seduced, but we are in a lot of ways shaped in our thinking this is some pretty old school stuff. So um, where we're going next is the story of, well, an unmarried man sits down by a well and a, and a woman comes near to draw water. That's where it picks up. 
And where we find ourselves in the story is Jesus is, um, in a lot of ways, symbolically reenacting a key event in the minds and hearts of his people. And so it tells us, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, um, wearied as he was from his journey, there we go, contacts, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So if you're an Old Testament person, you're like, wait a minute, that's familiar. And so John continues to write. He says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy, to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, here's some water, which is usually what happens. <laughs> she just asked a question, how are you a Jew? How, how do you ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So all of a sudden, the story starts breaking down. And somebody who's reading this, who's schooled in the Old Testament, has seen the pattern and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. She's supposed to say, here you go. But she's saying, guess what, mister? I'm not supposed to talk to you because we are different in case you did not know. And she just right out of the gate. Um, and and he, he, Jesus is like... Um, this conversation isn't satisfying my thirst, but that, I think, isn't the reason why he's here. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, which everybody who was in that day knew, and if you didn't know, uh, that, that was a thing. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, this is what scholars will say is a betrothal scene, okay? It harkens back to an Old Testament story, but it's not playing out like the story is supposed to play out. It's playing out a little bit differently. But let me just ask you a question, because John is trying to help our minds comprehend something how does Jesus' time in Cana start out as we, as we explored a, uh, a while back? He's at a wedding. And the wedding isn't going well because there's not enough wine. And who provides the wine? Typically, it is the bridegroom. But in this case, the bridegroom and their family, they weren't getting it done. So Jesus got it done. Just kind of hold that thought for a second. And who prompts him to get it done? His mother. And he says, woman, that's not my business. And she said, but it is. And so he did. As the story unfolds, we get to a guy named Nicodemus, Jewish teacher, responsible steward of the word of God for the people of Israel, a guy that is professionally called and inclined to share 
news of God for the well-being of the community. But the odd thing is, he doesn't seem to be too resonant with Jesus. He's not too aligned because he shows up for a conversation with Jesus when? At night, when it's dark. And he's curious, but he's not sure what to do with it because he knows what Jesus is saying is true. But the problem is, the reason why he's going there at night is because he doesn't want people to see what's going on. Kind of hiding things in the shadows of his life. And John talks about light and dark enough that you start to clue in and you say, you keep talking about light and dark, dark being bad and light being good. And the first encounter that Jesus has is with a person who should be able to say, you're the guy who's going to give me the baton to run with it. Now the promises of God are being fulfilled in your life, and I'm going to go tell everybody. But who does he go and tell? Nobody. Because this is volatile stuff. You get too close to Jesus, and bad things are going to start to happen. His world, his vocation, his livelihood, everything about his existence could at the turn of a word saying, hey, let's listen to Jesus, it could all be gone in a moment. And so he safely hides in the shadows. And it's not accidental that John sets this story up to say the guy who should have been the light bearer for the kingdom saying, I, I believe, but let's just keep it at belief. Let's not get too personal. And so John tells us another story about John the Baptist. And John says, guess what? Jesus is the bridegroom, and I'm just the best man. And then, well, there's a story that people who read these stories, say, oh yeah, that's the marriage plot. That's how those guys got married. That was the pattern over and over and over. Do you see something here showing up? Wedding at Cana, bridegroom, then all of a sudden, we got something happening here that's kind of got a little bit of marriage stuff behind it. It's kind of like there is something getting ready to happen where things are getting ready to be united together. And why this is no accident is because the end of the Bible says, before it just kind of says, hey, don't mess with this book, it says the groom and the bride shall be together. It is a happy ending story about a wedding. And John is fully aware that that imagery is designed to show the kind of intimacy that God wants to have with you and I. And by that, I mean God wants our hearts to be just open to him, willing to receive from him whatever it is that he has for us. He wants our hearts to be aligned with his. He wants our lives to reflect his purpose for the reason why we're put here on earth in the first place. He wants there to be harmony between us and him, like in the garden, where the two are together. But then when they started going in different directions, 
That's when it went south. I had a conversation with a lady named Carmen last night, and she was telling me about her kids. And she said, I love my kids, and I'll do anything for my kids. And we were talking about how we manage kids and technology and stuff. And she had some, some things to say that I thought was really helpful, and I shared. And, and it was just a good conversation. And I said, well, where's their dad in all of that? And she said, well, we're not together anymore. He's kind of doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. But we are agreed on this. We're for the kids. We both, whenever it comes to the things that they're doing, their well-being, we're on the same page. But it's the only place that they're on the same page. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to judge or anything. I'm just saying that's her struggle. And it, it, it just, you know, it, it occurred to me that when, when, when a house is divided and it's not going the same direction, it, 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 it just doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And God takes that beautiful imagery of a family and he says, essentially, that captures it the best. Matter of fact, what a family becomes is actually a reflection of the way that I've designed myself and you and us together to relate together. And then here's Jesus. Samaritans over here. Judeans over here. And Samaria was that place in between Judea and Galilee, and in the middle was Samaria. And a lot of people would say, we're just going to kind of go around. You know, it's sort of like when you go to um, Chicago or New York City. Just find me the road that goes the farthest part away from all of that stuff. And that's how people typically traveled because the hostilities ran very, very deep here. Yet Jesus had a heart for the people in Samaria so much that he was willing to go into those spaces where they existed, endure the hostility of their taunts, and at the same time share just how much God loved them. Now, I don't know about you, but isn't it good to know that despite our hostility towards God, our are sort of, hey, we're going to keep you at arm's length away, despite the fact that many times we just sort of blatantly disobey him. God time and time again says, but I am for you, I am for you, I am for you. I want you to be with me forever. And this lady, she's just thinking, hey, just talking to some Jew, Jewish guy about the Bible, and... Um, Started out with some discussion about water. And so she, I don't know her story, but we're going to hear a little bit about where she comes from. But we're going to hear more about where Jesus is going with her. So the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? So, again, the marriage story isn't working out the way it's supposed to. He's got living water. I don't. I came here to drink. He's thirsty. We have a problem here on our hands. And so she starts talking about something that doesn't make any sense here because this is supposed to be about, hey, I'm thirsty. You're thirsty. The issue on the table is water. But because there's a deep divide here, she says, um, are you greater than our father, Jacob? This is Samaritan. This is, this is fighting language. 
He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. So he's, there's a little Q&A going on here. This is the longest conversation recorded in Scripture between Jesus and another human being. And I don't believe it's an accident because it deals with some very fundamental things that have to do with any conversation that we should have with the Lord as we encounter him. Because oftentimes, we come to him for a surface need, and if you've ever come to church and you said, hey, I just need some help with something, I need some prayer with something, and you start to get interested, well, you get pulled in. You get pulled in. And next thing you know it, you're handing out bulletins at the, uh, at the doorway, or um, you're, you're, you're leading a women's group. And you're like, that, that wasn't exactly what I imagined, but growth in our life with the Lord is very cumulative, but once you start down that road, he changes us in ways that we never imagined, and had we known, we would have said, I never would have even gone in the door if I'd known that was going to happen at the time. But whenever I realized just how good it was, how life-giving it was, how satisfying it was, how refreshing it was, how good for my soul and my body and my being it was, just like water, well, I stuck around. Because there is no place out there that can provide what I can find in here with him. And Jesus is trying to lead her to that place over a cup of water. And he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I'm going to give you, you will never be thirsty. All right, so let's just move on in the story. The water that I give him, that, that, I, that, I, give, um, that I give him will be, I got a little sun on the screen, um, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have come here to draw water. And this goes from the ground level, as so much in John does, to the spiritual realities behind what is seen at the ground level. And that's just how God shows up. So the story unfolds even more. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right in saying that. Um, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet or our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, in this place, where people ought to worship. And so this is going in a weird direction very quick and starting to go into her heart in a way that is profoundly personal. Now, we don't know her story. We don't know what those marriages and divorces look like. A lot of people have assumed a lot of things, but the text doesn't really say anything. And it is odd in any event in the history, because I've done some research on this, a couple of things are odd about this story. One is um, you don't 
there, almost never do you find anybody that's been married that, that, that often, even in that day. The other weird thing is, a lot of times what people will say about the story, she showed up during the day, so that meant that, um, that, that, that she was afraid and, and shameful when other people weren't there. And there, there's nothing in the background of that that says there's anything wrong with people showing up during the day. So I'll just dispel that urban legend that's kind of come from commentary to commentary. And that may mean nothing to you, but what I want to say is we really don't get a bead on where her heart is at with those relationships. But chances are, when you got married in that day and age, it wasn't out of romance as much as it was out of necessity. And a lot of times, the father was the one who had the conversation with the family member and said, you guys are going to get married. And so she's, in many ways, under forces that are beyond her control. If you can, if you can wrap your mind around that for a second, marriage meant something very different back then. It didn't mean that people weren't attracted to each other, but it did mean there was a practical and economic necessity to have a marriage with children for the sake of the well-being of the security and safety of the family. So, all that said, Jesus is looking at this lady, and he sees something on the surface, a troubled history. Suitors who have come, and they've left, and now just cohabitating in a way that probably isn't for her best, but it works. This is where I'm at in life. And what John wants us to wrap our minds around is the fact that people in Samaria, it was recorded historically, that they had actually a history of about five different religious idols that they worshipped. Okay? And he's trying to say you... Historically, as a people, when you broke away from the rest of the Jewish people, that is, people of Judah and people of Benjamin, the other ten tribes that are lost, when you guys broke away, you started worshiping other idols, and there's a lot of marriage talk in the Old Testament about doing that. So, not trying to go too deep here other than to say, the fifth one they cohabitated with, scholars have said, is just their way of saying, hey, we, we worship the same God you do. We just don't quite attach to him the way that you attach to him. Now, if you can just take the ground level and the spiritual level and wrap that up and say this, she comes from a people that have disconnected from God and worshiped other idols, and her life shows the influence of all of those different people and in her case, all those different men that have affected her life. And you know what Jesus is saying? My dear, it is time for a clean start. It is time for a new chapter that will take all the old chapters and it will just lay them aside. It is time for a new relationship that will define your life and your identity and how you look at your future in ways that you could never imagine. And that's what he's hoping to bring to her. But perhaps more importantly today, that is what he's hoping to bring to you. And if I could say, hey, 
Tell me your testimony. Tell me your testimony. Tell me your testimony. There are a number of you who would say, this is the effect that Jesus had on my life. And after, I'm just going to tell you this about the story. So as it unfolds, it's 40-some verses long. So it's long. After this, um, the lady begins to grasp what exactly he's talking about. Because unlike Nicodemus at night, Nick at night, I'm sorry, that's just bad. I'm, I'm getting hammered for saying dad jokes all day long. I, I mean, I didn't think turning 59 was going to be that brutal, but I'm not even funny anymore. So Nick at night says, we're not going to talk about anything that's going on in my life. So there's only like three things that happen in that conversation, and then it is over. And Jesus does most of the asking, and he's just like, hmm. She, however, well, guess what? We're hearing her story just like we're on Oprah. It's all just being told. Thankfully, they don't give her name. It's just some woman in Samaria. This happened to her. Boy, it was bad. And this is the, the way of life she came out of, and that was even worse. But she was willing to own it. She was willing to name it. She was willing to accept it. And then she was willing to give it to God and move on. And some of us, like Nicodemus, get so stuck because we do not want to name that stuff that's hiding in the shadows that God says, we're not going to move forward until we say that is a thing that is not right. And you know that's not right. But we'll just wait. I have your whole, whole lifetime to wait. But what I've discovered is when we take the stuff in our lives that's hiding in the shadows and we say, God, that's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah, I shouldn't have been thinking that. shouldn't have been doing that. I shouldn't be carrying on like that. That is a thing. I've tried to rationalize it. I've tried to find ways of saying, hey, it's okay. But your Holy Spirit has disturbed my conscience enough to say, yeah, that's a thing. You know what Jesus said? That's why I came, for that thing. I didn't come here to condemn you. I came to restore you. I came to make you whole. I came to take you out of that false reality that you're living in that is just fraught with all kinds of illusions that at the time makes sense, but in reality just don't work. I came to give you something that is real, a kind of water that satisfies so much that once you drink it, you'll be like, man, I don't know why I hung on to all that stuff for so long. It was getting me nowhere. She's different. Nick at night, question mark woman, in the day. What I like about the question mark woman, it can almost be a question mark guy. It could be a question mark anybody. God is saying, hey, I know you. I know you more than you know I know you. And um, you're just playing games. You're not being honest. And you see the fruit of it, don't you? So what happens? The disciples... There's like an interlude here. All of a sudden, the disciples show up, and they're like, what are you doing, Jesus? Why are you talking to her? And Jesus is like, guess what? 
We talked a little while ago about uh, workers for the harvest in John, and uh, the scale's already been working. We're talking about how we can take the good news and we can broadcast it into the, into the region of Samaria. And guess what? She's been all about it. And then he looks at the disciples and like, what are you guys doing? And it really is indicting because actually the hero in the story is in many ways her. Because the story ends with this sense that she is now a new human being. So, so go and read it on your own. The effect that Jesus had on her in that conversation changed her life. So she goes back to her community, and she tells everybody, hey, guess what? I met the Messiah. He told me everything that I ever did, and maybe he told us everything we ever did. And some of us have discounted her to say, well, she's a woman caught in adultery. She, some people even said in sermons, she's a filthy whore. But the reality is, she's a co-worker in the kingdom. And the fruit of that is, she told people, and if they thought she was some crazy person who's just too deep in, 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 in the chaos of life, they would have just written her off. So why is it that the whole community said, hey, you're on to something? Somehow she had a voice that spoke the word that piqued their interest and drew them into the presence of the Lord. It's just interesting how provocative in all the right ways that was. Interesting how provocative Mary was in all the right ways when she said, hey, you need to get to work. But it's interesting how we look at this in a very negative way without really seeing where this is going because the goal here for Jesus is, hey, I'm priming Samaria to receive the good word and she's leading the charge. And I think that's why the gospel spends all the time in the world just saying, hey, she saw the situation with a kind of clarity that she's never seen before, and she couldn't contain it. She couldn't say enough about how much Jesus meant to her. And as she's saying that word, it was so convicting that people responded to her as much as it was to her saying those words that were the truth. So the focus wasn't on her doing it as much as it was on Jesus using her as a vessel for the thing that needed to be heard. And we get pretty fixated on who's doing what as opposed to what is God doing through us. What can God do through each of you? That's my question. That's the question we asked last week as we asked where are ways that you have been serving? And we're not trying to condemn anybody. We're just wondering, how can we help you discover a path to find the joy of serving the Lord? Because we believe that there is something there. We believe that God says, I don't want you to just say, I believe in Jesus and kind of hide at night and say, it's all good, but I'm not really going to do anything with it. I mean, the only time Nicodemus did anything with it in John was after Jesus died. He finally showed up and said, well, I guess we need to do something here. And I'd hate to say, I'm going to do something for you, Lord, but 
God may say, well, you're dead now. Too late. Welcome into my kingdom, but you just basically didn't get it. Now, I don't want to be on the receiving end of that conversation, and I don't want you to be on the receiving end of that conversation. I want us to say together, hey, Christian church was able to in the name of the Lord for a community that is just like Samaria, has lots of wives, lots of husbands, lots of idols, and they need to know the truth. That's us, people. This is a story, really, about us. And I'll just say this, two things about this lady I think we, we need to take away. One is, she's the first evangelist in John's gospel. John's very clear. She's the first person that got it and said it. The second thing, she's an ideal disciple. She's someone who listens, asks questions, seeks understanding, and then tells other people what she's realized herself. Really basic stuff. But how hard is it to listen? I mean, I'm, I'm proud of you guys for listening to me ramble on for the length of time that I have. But our attention spans are just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And have you noticed lately when you, when you encounter people, they're not interested in hearing you. They're really not. Not everybody. They're really interested in what's going on in their world and how what you're doing relates to what's going on in their world. They're anxious. They're nervous. They're fearful. They want to know if you're a threat or if you're benign. But ask, how's your day going to a stranger? They'll look at you like, huh? But she's like, I'm all ears. You got me. I'm thirsty. I'm at the well. But I'm also... I'm thirsty for the thing that's right, that's real. And you've just shown it to me, Jesus. I can't wait to tell people because now I get it. Now I get it. I get what's happening behind the, underneath the surface here. You brought something to us that we've been longing for for a long time. We've been debating as Samaritans, hey, we worship on Mount Gerizim. You say you worship over there on Mount Zion. Jesus said, in me, it doesn't matter where you at, you're at. True worship is worshiping in spirit and in truth. Our text says I didn't read. You can be anywhere. You don't even have to be in church. What God is looking for is the truth and us to align with it, to be honest, to name the stuff in our lives that are not true and not real and to give them to them and then to offer our lives as an act of worship. That may seem very strange if you're new to this experience, but once you start doing it, you find life. You find something that you couldn't find anywhere else. You start to resonate. You start to harmonize with the chords that God is striking. And when you do, all of a sudden, it just works. It just fits. It's just the right thing to do. Other than that, all I can tell you is you just have to try it. 
and he's always open. There's hospitality. God gave you that ability because you're paying attention to him. And he's saying, because he just got to learn to make coffee, that's all. <laughs> and we're agreeing with him. But God wants us to be a family together forever. He wants everyone in this room, no matter who you are, where you came from, what you've done, what your past is, what shame that you carry, he wants to just take that away from you and then call you into the person that you were supposed to be to begin with. Can't say it any, any better. And so I want to invite you into that place if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Please let me help you. Or anybody that you feel comfortable here who understands and is willing to come alongside, we want you in our family. We want you in God's family forever. Would you bow with me and pray? Lord Jesus, we are grateful for what you have provided in that living water. We are here today because we know that it is real, that it is right, that it is satisfying because it is sourced in you. Lord, you came here 2,000 years ago and you are still here in the hearts and the minds and the lives of people that say yes to you. And Lord Jesus, we know that that is the case. Unlike any other teacher or prophet from the past that's been forgotten, it is the case because you are alive and you are real and you speak to our hearts and our lives in invisible but very tangible ways that tell us you not only love us, you not only died for us, but you call us to a way of life that is in you. You call us to turn away through repentance to those things that we've clung to that we're just not designed to harbor in our hearts. And you've called us into a way of life that is deeply satisfying and life-giving when we replace all the things that are the idols and the ideas and the notions that are just not real for the things that are in you. May that be us as a church so that we can truly share like she did with sincere hearts the profound joy that the good news has created for our lives. Lord, help First Christian Church, help us together to do that as we find our way in you, as we learn to serve in you, as we learn to trust you more, and the accumulative effect of that is that we grow to become healthy, strong people for you. May your name be glorified forever, and may you find us faithful and at the end, fruitful. In Jesus' name, amen. Does anybody like God moments when they happen? <laughs> this morning is a God moment. Um, it's amazing how everything comes together when he's involved trying to think what I'm going to say here this morning, trying to come up with something. My mind's blank. On the way here, a word pops into my head. I don't know what to say with that. I come here and hear about the retirement happening, hear the, the story of the sermon, and it all comes together. And that word's purpose. And I got to thinking, well, how's that going to tie in? And I think of Melissa's 
experience of what do I do next? Disciples, they knew what they were going to do. They were fishermen, whatever they had a job. Jesus called them. They're repurposed. So you'll figure out what that is. He'll, you know, he'll lead you to that. Tied purpose into that. Then this story reminded me of an episode of The Chosen, if anybody has watched that show, how Jesus had a purpose to meet her, but it all come together. They were one place going to another. They had to go in an episode. And I know the disciples are like, why are we going this way? Like you said, we don't want to go there. We're not welcome. We have other things to do. We have to be here. We got to go here. He meets her at the well. There's a purpose as well. He knew what he had to do there. So then I thought, how am I going to tie purpose in to communion? Jesus knew the purpose of his life in the end was to die for us. So he went all through his life knowing in the end what he had to do. We don't always know what we're going to do in our life tomorrow, a year from now, you know, kids with your career or whatever. But Jesus knew the whole time what the end purpose was of his life. And that's just amazing to think that he did everything he did and took care of all these other people, healing everything else, knowing in the end he was not going to heal himself, protect himself, and give himself on the cross. Um, so when you take your communion, just remember that uh, that purpose that Jesus had, and just remember that there is a purpose, not only now, but also what's to come, that it all ties into his plan for your life. You know, it might not look, look good right now, going through good and bad. Brian and I had a conversation about this yesterday, and it's funny how that tied in as well. You know, no matter if it's good or bad right now, there's a purpose where God has you, and until it changes and he leads you somewhere else, you're meant to be in that time and going through that, whether to build yourself up or you're there for somebody else. So I know I struggle with that as well. So you're not alone if anybody else is going through that. So just join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We come together um, in this building that you've provided. Um, you have a purpose for each of us together as a body and individual. And when we come together, all those purposes and uh, talents and everything we have all come together for to work your plan for good, whether it's our own church members, our community, or those we don't even know yet. We just thank you for the sacrifice of your son on the cross to give us hope and a future and to know that good things are to come. And just remember the bloodshed and his body broken, that that purpose was fulfilled, and uh, that we can all someday have a place where we don't have to have any worry or pain or sickness or any doubting, Lord, that our one focus and our one purpose is to be with you and to praise you forever. We just ask this in your name. Amen.
Could I go and stand all close? I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus faded all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as.
because Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Praise God. We love you, Father. We thank you for that, that we can be here joyful. Lifting you up in song, hearing your word. Just be with everybody as we go from here. Uh, help us remember you always put you first in everything and show you to everybody we can. We love you and praise you. Amen. Hope you all have a nice week. <laughs>